When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is gayish. The podcast with a hanky. For some banky. The hankiest. The bankiest. We just did that for the first time. <laughs> we didn't have to record that twice. It sounded so natural and smooth. It was perfect. Like all of our intros. Yeah. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. We're here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. And today... Today... We're going to talk to Derek's husband. About voting. About voting. Yes. Our, our producer, Derek, is in love with Mr. Anyone Mr. With, Derek. with the name of Derek. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're, we're going to talk to Brian Derrick. We should actually say. His oh name. yeah, we're going to talk to Brian Derrick. Yeah, social media influencer, known ginger, dancing political activist, mm-hmm. Brian Derrick. Yep. Okay. Uh, but first. But first. Here's the news. Yeah. That seemed abrupt. <laughs> oh, we can keep chatting. It's fine. Okay. I don't like you that much. Okay. <laughs> Shut your mouth hole. It's time for your ear holes. News. 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 News the first. There is new research that is out uh, of the University of Michigan uh, that says that there are genes that influence people into being bisexual. Uh, they're so tight. There are bisexual genes. <laughs> they're so tight. Genes. Oh, yeah. K- J-, J genes. Yeah. Yeah. Jinkos are not. The, the opposite of Jinkos. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're doing real good today. We're doing a really good episode so far. (laughs) Uh, Scientists have found genetic variations associated with human bisexual behavior for the first time, and they are linked to risk-taking behaviors that produce more children. So they are saying that basically bi bi people have questionable judgment, but that it's good for them and good for the species. Riskier in in an evolutionarily advantageous way. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So they they have um, higher risk-taking behaviors and have more children than average and uh, that that males in particular, um, they're calling it BSB, which is... uh, uh, Backstreet Boys? Backstreet Boys. All right. All right. They're they're back and they make you buy. (laughs) Bisexual behavior, they're known as BSB associated alleles um, and that uh, they're reproductively advantageous, which is why they're persistent. And yeah, so it's just, it's really interesting, I think, because there's the whole like bi people aren't real or like we forget that they exist, but they are very, very real and they exist and we're studying them and we're finding like, oh, it's a thing. Yeah. And the the lead researcher's name is Zhanqi Zhang. And uh, Zhang says, quote, we realized that in the past people lumped altogether all homosexual behavior but actually there's a spectrum and nature is complicated Hmm. but here we're talking about three traits number of children risk-taking and bisexual behavior they all share some genetic underpinnings interesting yeah so by people we see you and so do microscopes (laughs) (laughs) you can take a risk with me if you want yeah risk risk my dick yeah News the second? Yeah. Um, okay. Researchers at the Williams Institute at the University of California, Los Angeles 
have released their gayest states research. <laughs> gayest states. So yeah, we know we know which states are the gayest. Which states are they? Well, do you want in absolute numbers or by percentage? Percentage of gays? Yeah. Oh, by percentage. Okay. By percentage, the gayest place in the country is Washington, D.C. The District of Columbia is 14.3% queer. Wow. That They studied it's all LGBTQ plus identifying adults. That's so gay. That's so That's so gay. many gays. Yes. Uh, number two is Oregon at 7.8. Number three is Delaware at 7.5. Hmm. Uh, the rest are Vermont, New Hampshire, Washington, Ooh. Colorado, Maine, Nevada, and Massachusetts. Those are the top 10. Interesting. Yeah. By absolute numbers. New York. It's the fucking population, right? It's yeah. California is number one, oh. followed by Texas, Florida, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Georgia, and Washington, which I think Washington and Oregon are the... Nope, just Washington. I think Washington is the only one that's on both lists. Oh, double winner for us. Yeah, we're solidly in the middle of the best of the... <laughs> of both, of both. <laughs> Middling two ways. Yeah. Also interesting is in sheer numbers, apparently the South is the gayest that... Oh. that um. They looked at the West, the Midwest, the South, and the East, and broke them up that way. And uh, the the South is the big winner. At thirty five point nine percent of gay people, LGBTQ people in this country live in what is categorized as the South. So, well over a third. That defies the stereotypes. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess the South is super duper gay, not by percentage, though, just by sheer numbers. It's kind of like smeared around down there. <laughs> <laughs> like call it a pap because it's smeared. Um. Yeah. 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 Any questions about all of that, Kyle? I, I have no questions. No. How's this going so far? I think it's going great. I think you're doing yeah. a really good job. I think we're we've like I think we've course corrected. It was a little rocky out of the gate. We stumbled a bit. And now we're back on track. Yeah. We're, we're going to. Now we're Survive. whipping our horse for all it's worth trying to win this race. Yeah. Okay. I think we're almost there. All right. News the last. Home stretch. Um, Dickbag fuckface asshole of 2015, Kim Davis. Oh. Uh, uh-huh, has uh-huh. more bad news this week. Um, she was ordered last September to pay $100,000 in damages to one of the couples she denied a license, but was ordered this last Tuesday to pay an additional $260,104. <laughs> to David Ermold and David Moore to cover their attorney's fees. So, uh, y- yeah, she she tried to... Well, she refused them marriage licenses uh, after the Obergefell v. Hodges uh, ruling in 2015, recognizing marriage equality nationwide, and she said it would violate her religious beliefs, so she shut down all marriage license operations in her office so that she wouldn't have to give them to gay people, which I just... Cut off your nose to spite your face, you fucking bitch. Yeah. And then, anyway, the the hits just keep on coming. Basically, every every time that she's she's gone to court about this, she's gotten her fucking ass kicked, which makes me just so happy. Yeah. So it's nice when the right thing happens at the end of the day. Exactly right, Kyle. Yeah. It is nice when the right thing happens. Yeah. <sighs> God, I hate her. <laughs> she sucks. She sucks so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Why do we call them Karens when really they should be Kims? They should be Kims. You're right. <laughs> okay. That's the news. That's the news. Speaking of people who are not Kims, 
I'm going to thank the following Chaz. Or, nor, nor Karens either. Or Karens. Right. Yeah. Or any things. Um, I'm going to thank the following new Patreon member, Anthony Emlin. Oh, that's not a Chad at all. You. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, if you want to join Patreon to get uh, ad-free episodes a day early and a ton of other benefits, then sign up for Patreon at patreon.com slash gayishpodcast. Maybe we should offer pics of my butthole, Kyle. Yep, at the do highest you, level. Do you think that I think, would work? Yes, uh, we'll add a new tier, <laughs> $100 a month. But then what's the incentive to keep, you have to keep taking month, butthole pics. Monthly pictures of my butthole. Monthly butthole progress, pics. Progress pics. Progress report. <laughs> Been stretching. Um, join Patreon. <laughs> Please do it. Yeah. Or I, or I will. Or. <laughs> you want to talk about voting? Yeah, let's talk about voting. I The last thing I voted in was like American Idol, I think. I'm kidding. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, voting. Are Do you, you watch Kelly Clarkson's real, or, or a TV show? TV show? No. I see a bunch of clips of that on Instagram. It apparently thinks that I really want to see Kelly Clarkson. Maybe you do. Maybe it's right. Maybe I sometimes the, the, the algorithm has you figured out, Kyle. Before I have myself figured out. Yeah. Anyway. Somebody needs to. Someone needs to. It's not my therapist. She hasn't gotten there. No. Um, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to ask you if you're a voter. Do you vote? Are you? A, uh, I vote every single time. Every single time? Even if yep. you don't know what's going on? Yeah, because I just do the... Um, we have a local alternative newspaper called The Stranger. I just take whatever recommendations they give me. I literally I do the same thing. I vote however the stranger says. And when I do care, it's usually what they want me to do anyway. So th there's some trust earned there that like, yeah, they can do the work for me. Yeah, for That's sure. Scary as fuck, though. It is kind of scary that someone just publishes a thing and then masses of people like us just kind of vote. But I read like all their descriptions and follow their logic and mm -hmm. agree with the logic they put out there i've disagreed with them like once or twice and done something different but mm -hmm. yeah so yeah um it really helps that we have mail-in voting um so it makes it a lot easier to get your actual vote in you don't have to like take time off work or whatever in a super duper crazy deep blue ridiculously liberal place like the city of seattle do you think your vote matters hmm I mean, I want to say yes. Mm -hmm. So yes, one of one of the <laughs> yeah, most, I say yes. One of the most common things people say for their reasoning for not voting, for not participating, is that it doesn't make a difference. And then a lot of people say a, a like a slightly more nuanced version of that, which is it doesn't make a difference where I live. Mm. And I, I, the the former is just being lazy. The latter is like lazy with a reason. I mean, the thing is, on an individual level, it is true. Hmm. Each individual person's vote doesn't matter. Yeah. But it does as a collective. So you have to just, you have to do the thing and assume that you're a part of a group of people that is also going to do this in spite of it probably not mattering. And you as a part of a collective does matter. Yeah. 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 Do you vote? Yes, I try to. I sometimes miss special elections because it's hard for me to, like, I don't know. Last year, traveling so much, there legit was one where, like, between the time my ballot came and the Tuesday that we were supposed to turn them in, I was here for none of it. Oh, so, wow. Like, but... That's acceptable reason to not vote. But I, I vote 
I vote every congressional election, every presidential election, and most of the special elections. I just have to like, you know, I'm less consistent in that area. Do you always vote Democrat? Yeah. Do you ever, would you ever consider voting third party? No. Why? Because people who think that they're independents are stupid. <laughs> and uh, whether you like it or not, you can bitch all you want to. You are voting for more than just the person. You are also voting for the party. And the Democratic Party is far more invested in my health and safety and success as a queer person than the Republican Party, who still has in their platform that they think that we shouldn't have rights or exist. So it doesn't matter. You could be the, the nicest, happiest, most awesome, progressive Republican. I'm still voting for your fucking party, and they're terrible. Yeah. As for third party, you are diluting uh, the, the, the power uh, in... in in that election. Now, there there are some elections in which a third party is viable, has reached that critical mass of their candidacy where it's possible that they might win, in which case I would consider it. But those are few and far between. We have first past the post, um, winner take all single seat districts in this country for the most part. And that mathematically creates a situation where it really is a two party system. You really only have two choices. Pick the better one. Yeah. But if a third party candidate was to arise and I liked them and I liked their politics and I liked their party's politics. Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. How are you? Yeah, I said I probably, a bunch of things. I pro I agree with you. I yeah. probably wouldn't. I probably would just always vote because you're it's, it's casting a vote against Republicans. Sometimes is the action of voting for Democrat. Yeah. And if you, yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, the last time I voted for a Republican that I remember was 2000. Ooh. It was for personal reasons. What does that mean? Senator Maria Cantwell was an absolute fucking bitch to me, to my face in person. And my feelings were so hurt by that. And I was in my early 20s and less rational about things. I was like, I'm not voting for that horrible person. So I voted for Slade Gordon, who, is, who had been our senator for a long time. And one of my fraternity brothers worked for his campaign. So that was like my last moment of weakness. It's been straight D ticket ever since. Straight D. Straight D. Yeah. Yeah. She was really awful to me. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, we're going to have Brian Derrick on shortly. We're going to have Brian Derrick on. Uh, he wants people to vote. Uh, he has uh, created a platform called Oath, which I want to ask him a lot more questions about, but that yeah. uh, is a way for you to put your money not just where your mouth is, but where other people's mouths are. But where the right mouths are. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and also does a lot of work on social media to educate people about what's happening in the world of politics and, and elections and uh, is also an, an adorable ginger that, that Derek wants to marry. So. Yeah. All the right things to be a guest on Gayish. <laughs> uh, so when we come back, we are going to have Brian Derek with us to talk about all things voting. Yeah. Uh, are you ready to, for him? Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready to take, take his him? interview. Okay, great. Uh, so should we take a break? Let's take a break. Let's take a break. <laughs> this is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. So are we back? We're back. <laughs> we're back. We are back. We're back. We're, we're, we really are, we're though. Really, really back. <laughs> uh, we're here with Brian Derrick uh, from, from all over the place. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Okay. So what I know you from most is from Oath. Um, but why don't you give us a, a quick, just who are you? What's your life? What's your background? Pronouns. Let's start with pronouns. Absolutely. Pronouns are he, him. 
And people usually know me as the redhead gay guy on Instagram that talks about politics. And dances. Um, Dancing. And dancing is a big part of this. Exactly. Exactly. And dancing. Um, And I also am the founder and CEO of Oath, which is a political advising platform that helps people figure out where to give their money to make maximum impact in the political space. And, And where'd you grow up? I'm originally from Ohio, pretty small town outside of Cincinnati. Went to Ohio State, moved to New York City after graduating, and have been here ever since. Excellent. Uh, what, what did you study when you were there? I studied public affairs um, with an emphasis on civic engagement and nonprofit management. So my goal was to work in gay ink, in, in the movement for national and state LGBT organizations around the country, and felt very committed and content doing that. Politics came later after Trump was elected. I felt like I needed to have sort of both feet walking in in, in the same direction uh, in the hard politics space rather than limiting to nonprofit and um, sort of issue advocacy work. And that's what really started me on this journey of online content creation and civic education and these political things that I'm, I'm now, of course, uh, more well known for. But really, my background and my passion for this work started in queer rights um, and in the movement. Okay, so Kyle is from Texas. I totally get the like, home is home. And but you have your feelings about, about home. And how did it feel to have Ohio go for Trump, not just once, but twice? Not just once, but twice by eight points, like not even close. Um, yeah, it hurts. It was not a surprise. Um, more surprising in, in 16 than 20, but I was by no means surprised in, in 20. I'm from a mixed household in terms of uh, of political views. And so I regularly have conversations with family members who are two-time Trump voters and that gives, I think, a little bit of additional insight into why that swing happened from o- Obama to really strongly Trump and not even a battleground state in, in 2024. But yeah, it's it's heartbreaking, right? Like that is where I grew up. Going to Ohio State, I have such a strong connection and affinity to the state. And also, I don't feel like I am as welcome there because of who I am compared to my life in New York. How do you have those conversations with family members? Is it all completely rational, thoughtful, or does it ever get heated? How, how do you maintain a, a good relationship with people you know vote, voted for Trump? It's definitely easier to maintain an emotional distance from it when you're talking to strangers or when you're having the conversation in the context of like voter engagement or something, if I'm, if I'm doing it through work or... Um, online. When it's family, obviously there's so much history and personality and uh, weaved into it that it makes it really hard to keep that sort of focus on the logic and on the policies and that kind of things. But at the end of the day, that's not what wins people over anyway. And so you really do have this, it's both difficult and you have this extra special web tool in order to reach someone who you know that well, who you've known your entire life. And so they're difficult conversations, but I have had some success 
at least finding some deeper understanding of their perspective, even if I'm not going to win them over on an issue or change how they're going to vote. Um, being able to see somebody else's point of view in that situation, I find really helpful to our personal relationship and to my broader advocacy and political work. It it really does help to understand how other people are thinking. And I just happen to get some of that across the, the dinner table sometimes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, are you out to your family? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very, very much so. And I have a gay brother as well. So, uh, oh, okay. Super out. It, it, do, do you have any straight siblings? <laughs> I have a straight sister um, okay. and she has three boys. Uh, so ticking the boxes for grandchildren to take some of the pressure off of me and David. My gosh, I really wish my straight brother would have some kids so that <laughs> my it parents helps. could have that, <laughs> right. that box checked. <laughs> totally. So the, I mean the 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 modern Republican Party is 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 not queer friendly and seems to be getting worse all the time, especially when it comes to trans issues. Like, how do how do your Republican family members reconcile that with their relationship with you, or do they? I would say they think that there's no conflict there at all, right? And a lot of the work that we can do in our own families and communities and friendships is to highlight the personal impact of what feels like very high-level political thinking or debate. And so it's easy for someone to to vote on taxes, but they're also voting for someone who would gladly undercut or repeal the rights that we've won in the last 20 years. And so I think it is about always trying to find the right moments and the right conversations to push there and to say, and and to show the effect of these policies, if not on me, then on people that I know, as, as you said, a lot of the focus of their attacks has turned to the trans community. And so it's easier for a relative or a friend to say, oh, well, they, they would never repeal marriage equality. They just are worried about like groomers, or they're just worried about uh, people pushing puberty blockers in schools or like things like that, where there's so much misinformation and misunderstanding about um, the LGBTQ community at large, but especially the trans community. And so being able to be a personal voice and share a perspective that they trust because we've known each other for for so long, um, I think adds a dimension and a level of understanding that you don't get from reading the news or watching cable TV news, especially if you're leaning on sources like Fox, of course. But yeah, it's it's tough. But the more that we can highlight personal stories, the individual impact, and make people feel like they have space to learn new information and change their mind, I think is more effective, in my opinion, than cutting people out. Who, who we disagree with on just on the principles of it. We didn't think Roe versus Wade was going to go away either. Do you think marriage equality is like on the agenda? Oh, absolutely. Um, I hope I didn't misspeak. I, no, no. I absolutely believe that they're coming after all of our rights that hinge on Griswold, on, on our right to privacy. Hmm. And that includes marriage, that includes the Lawrence v. Texas decision, which affirmed all relations. Right, exactly. 
birth control. Like all of these rights stack on top of each other. And I think they're trying to pull the whole thing out root and all. It's terrifying. Because Jesus? Because Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I think that um, the far right is extremely motivated by a white Christian national view of the country. And that has truly via huge dark money groups and some deals with the devil, essentially, to, to put this political coalition together has seeped into every part of the conservative ecosystem. And you can't get the corporate tax cuts that they want without all of these horrifying social policies as well. And yeah, you're right. Like that, that's honestly what it traces back to is this evangelical white Christian nationalist view of what the country should be. You mentioned that Trump was getting elected was a turning point for you to decide to go full fledged into the work you're doing now. Can you talk about just what that experience was like and how that shaped your decision? Absolutely. I was working at Lambda Legal at the time in New York and was really like a street activist um, was kind of how I identified in the city. I was at every demonstration and protest, worked with a lot of different LGBTQ organizations, um, helped found Voices for, which was trying to draw attention to the gay purge happening in Chechnya. And in all of this work felt extremely fulfilled in the advocacy that that I was um, working toward. And at the same time felt limited after the Trump administration took office that a lot of the cases that we were filing, a lot of the changes that we were pushing for had a ceiling, had a cap on what was realistic and what was possible while these people were in power. And don't get me wrong, the work that Lambda Legal does and lots of the the national orgs is so critical and so important. And I still think I'll go back to it at some point. But in that moment, the real fire, the five alarm fire, the crisis was happening at the ballot box. And we couldn't go there. We couldn't touch it because Lambda Legal is a a nonprofit organization. And so I felt like I needed to, it felt a little bit like fighting with one hand tied behind my back or that I would spend my personal time doing election focused work and then couldn't dive in in the same way, couldn't roll up my sleeves during my nine to five. And so I just wanted to merge those worlds into one and be as helpful as I could, use the skills that I had in order to get better people in office who just shared a more inclusive view of what the future of America could look like. I, I read this this article. Um, it's from WGN Chicago, uh, but the, the, the headline is a quote from you saying, stop doom scrolling and start doing something. Um, what is, what is the something like, what, what should we, what should we be doing? So much. And I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> um, that really is my my core message. Um, it's never been easier to be disillusioned with politics um, and to check out because 
it feels like the things that we need to do are hard. And it feels like when we try, it's wrong. Um, and so it feels like there's this huge barrier to entry to just do something, to, to take some kind of action in the political environment that we currently exist in. And my goal is very much to lower that bar and to say that doom scrolling is helping no one. Reading every single New York Times or every single Wall Street Journal article is helping no one if you do nothing with that information. And the operative sort of pivot is to, to take an action. And I think that what the smartest action to take is really depends on who you are, what resources you have available to you, and what you're interested in. It's why we created Oath, not to sell you too hard, but um, <laughs> truly, I, I think that it is too hard to figure out what to do. And so we created this platform to say, hey, if your top issue is fighting against trans bans, then here are the races. Here are the specific elections that we need to win in order to stop that from happening. If it's fighting against book bans, here are the school boards that are currently uh, swinging one direction or the other where we can really make a difference. If it's um, flipping the house or electing more LGBT candidates, whatever that is, like find your thing, roll up your sleeves, dive in, volunteer, donate, show up, call your legislators, join a club, um, start a book club. There's a million ways to build community and move people toward action and engagement. But the default in this modern society that we find ourselves in is disengagement. And so it takes an active um, decision to fight against that and, and do something. I mean, school board races are what a lot of people would say is pretty far down ballot. Um, that's it's it's interesting that that uh, your tendrils are that deep into in, in into ballots. Our opponents' tendrils are everywhere, and that <laughs> is, I think, why I decided to create Oath instead of just joining an existing effort. Is that I have seen, and and we've all seen the effects of conservatives far right. 40-year plan to yeah. do this, to overturn Roe v. Wade, to roll back all of the individual rights that we've secured, um, both at the ballot box and in through, through the courts over the last two generations. And they do it because they have a plan and a lot of money and a lot of coordination. And so me and my co-founder got together and said, what would it look like to use tech to empower people with this same kind of information so that we can fight back on a level playing field. And that is, is what we have built. And so, yes, it is super far down ballot, but wherever they are pushing their agenda, we need to have a thoughtful and strategic response so that we don't see the kind of things that have happened with state legislatures, which was really where have um, been pushed out the most in the last 30 years, um, which is why we're seeing things like the extreme trans healthcare bans and things now. But I don't want that to happen next at the school board level. How do you find um, the elections that matter the most? What's kind of the logic behind which ones are the most important? As much as possible, we want the individual to be the driver, right? To tell us what is important to them. So if it's 
these issues that we're talking about, fighting against book bans, what have you, or if it's just like simply maximizing the effectiveness of my $25, whatever. Um, we analyze thousands, tens of thousands now of elections via this tech that we've built that pulls in data from all of these different sources, a couple dozen different sources on who's running and what the composition of the district is and what they're running on and what is at stake in that election. And then we do this pretty interesting mapping to figure out, okay, well, for LGBT equality, it's this. For reproductive rights, it's this. And we rely on a lot of experts and existing organizations in the field um, who are already doing very issue-specific work in order to help us do that well. And then once you have that, it's about uh, building the right algorithm. I know that's like a bad word these days, but <laughs> like a very simple, like layered uh, logic that enables someone to get more personalized results. If you're like just looking for answers in your state and you want to be focused there, or if you want to look nationally, we have a lot of people who live in California and New York and know that the front lines of these issues are in other places and therefore they want to make sure that their efforts are going exactly to where they're needed. Um, and we can help them sort of zero in, in that capacity. Okay. So I want to ask, do you think this country is ready for a female president? Do you think this country is ready for a gay president? Which one do you think gets elected first oh, wow. looking into the future? I think that we are ready for both. I am predicting a woman, mm -hmm. a straight woman first before mm -hmm. somebody queer. And I think it's 2028, honestly. Um, I would not be surprised if we saw both. Um, of the major parties nominate women in 2028 after we have this sort of like forced generational change that we're all very, I think, excited about. Yeah. Um, I would not I would not be surprised if we saw uh, two women in the general election in 28, hmm. which hmm. is exciting. We already saw, I don't know if you know, we saw the first um, gay versus gay general election in 2022, Long Island. That's how we ended up with George Santos. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> there, everybody on their ballot was gay for, for that seat. Those were their only options. So we celebrate George Santos <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> no, they picked the wrong one, of course. <laughs> okay. Of course they picked the wrong one. Um, but yeah, I think that we're going to see more of that. And I feel like that would be an ideal scenario because then you can sort of remove it to some degree as a factor, right? It's, right. it's going to be harder when... Like sexism is real and me believing yeah. that we're ready for a woman doesn't mean that it's not real. Um, but I would love to see two women at the top of the ticket. So either way, like we can just talk about their policies and what they'll do for the country and sort of a little bit move to the side, the debate over um, whether or not the president should be a woman. That's obviously ridiculous. So <laughs> my own my own version of doom scrolling. That's assuming we have an election in 2028. Right? That is true. <laughs> that is very true. It's going to be a big year in, in determining that. But um, but I believe I am very hopeful. And uh, I believe that we'll see. Um, we will see an election in 2028. I mean, do you, do you think uh, autocratic fears are unfounded? I do not think that they are unfounded. I think that our instinct to highlight and elevate the worst possible outcome is dangerous in its own way. And so I look at 
pieces like there was one recently that a Trump dictatorship is now almost inevitable. That was like, mm-hmm. that was running, I think either Washington Post or near, I think it was the Washington Post. Um, and was I, there an I, op-ed? I, yeah, yes. Okay. And, and I feel like things like that are irresponsible because it raises the bar so high for what alarming should be. And there's so much that could happen if Trump is reelected um, to another term that does not make him a dictator that we should also be extremely, extremely concerned about. Hmm. And so I'm not a huge fan of that kind of alarmist take, even if there is like some chance of that happening. I think that you don't need to go there in order to make a really strong case that Trump would a second Trump term would be terrible for the country. It doesn't have to result in a dictatorship and the end of democracy for it to be a bad idea. And so I'm like, let's make sure we cover all of the outcomes before that, um, before we we set that as the bar for disaster. I think his first presidency, there are so many things that we just assume are the rules or that like we assume there's protections for that there clearly aren't. And right. and it things are far more tenuous and fragile and manipulatable. Is that even a word? Sure. Malleable than we think they are. And and uh I there were so many like worst case scenarios that he actually did right like january 6th which was just yesterday as of this recording is a perfect example everybody's like no there's not going to be he's not going to try to stop the peaceful transfer of power he's not going to deny the election results and then he fucking did it thousand percent and it's very disconcerting to see someone just trample over all of our norms all of our traditions um and and laws, right? He also lots of the things that he did were criminal, and that's why we're seeing cases. Um, but to be the optimist that I am, I will mm-hmm. also say, for people who were not politically engaged before the last six years or or so, it should also be empowering in a way. In a way, maybe empowering is a, a too strong of a word, but um, it should open your eyes to how much we can change and that electing people who want to uh, make the system work for everyone and for a broader swath of Americans have the ability to do that if we get them into office and we have large enough coalitions to like push that agenda forward. Um I think that we are seeing a very different kind of, I'll, I'll call it like hardball politics in the last decade than we have ever before in American history. And that should get people amped to, to make sure that if those are the kinds of tactics that we're going to deploy, that we're using them to push for progress and not to roll the clock back 70 years. <laughs> Speaking of being optimistic, uh, an article described you as being a progressive with a professorial look and a positive demeanor. <laughs> so how do you feel about that characterization of who you are? I love it. I take okay. that. Um, Kara Swisher called me chicken soup for the liberal soul. And that was like <laughs> probably the greatest compliment that I could ever receive. <laughs> a lot of people see being optimistic or hopeful in 2024 as being naive. But 
I do not share that view. And I think it's actually our civic duty to maintain hope and optimism. Because once you give that up, you've given up all of your power to make things better. And I hope that the content that I can put out, even when it's really silly, right? Even when it's dancing on Instagram um, or doing a whiteboard video, the writing that I do, I hope brings people a sustained and meaningful sense of hope that things can actually be better, but that we have to make them better, that it's not just going to happen on its own. Um, So I take that um, with a big smile and I... (laughs) Uh, I, I appreciate the the description. Where do you think you get your optimism from? It's a good question. I want to say my parents. I, I feel like I've always kind of been uh, this way, this broken. <laughs> um, uh, I have both Catholicism, a Catholic side of the family, and a Jewish side of the family. And um, that came with lots of trauma and also um, of intense focus on like service and being of, of service to your community and, and being of service to others uh, in, from both sides. And I think that that experience and that focus in my upbringing has always led me more to like careers and activities around social justice and making change and fighting for a better future. Um, Yeah. So I would say my parents, a lot of it comes from my mom. Her sophomore year of high school, she led a protest. They were, uh, the girls were not allowed to wear pants. They had to wear Mm -hmm. like long skirts to school. And she led a protest where they all went into the bathroom and changed into pants in the middle of the day and walked out. Um, And so like this civil disobedience and uh, sort of activist streak has, I think, always been a part of my family. And I just got an extra dose. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you single? I am single. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dating? (sighs) What is dating? What is dating really? Because you seem like a you seem like a busy man, right? <laughs> yeah, it was twenty twenty three in particular was especially busy, um, which is like when we really launched Oath, and twenty twenty four, of course, will be busy. But I mean, you have you have time for what you make time for. So yes, I'm like I'll say I'm actively dating, uh, but not currently seeing anyone. That sounds like Coach for Grinder, maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> no, no, I've like I've been on a handful of dates in the last. Mm-hmm three months, but nothing that has like stuck. So yeah. I'm, I'm open. I'm open to what the universe has in store for me this year. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> the look that was exchanged. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like, us. We're like psychic network <laughs> yeah. communicators sometimes. Um, okay. So what do you say to the voter who? doesn't vote because where they live, they think their vote doesn't matter. And there's two versions of that, right? There's like, I live in Seattle, even though I agree with the outcome most of the time, my vote is just one more voice in the chorus that's already all saying the same thing as we're crazy liberal and only vote for Democrats, blah, blah, blah. Then there's the reverse of that. I think the, the more tragic version of that, which is like, I'm a crazy progressive liberal and I live in somewhere in Oklahoma, 
um, but but in both cases, this person is convinced, and perhaps rightly so, that their one little tiny vote doesn't matter. What what do you what do we what do we say to them? Such a good question. So so important as we head into twenty four. So right off the bat, I will say you are not looking at the complete picture. If you are basing whether or not you show up to the polling place on the presidential election, then we only really need to send a couple hundred thousand people from the whole country to go vote. Um, That is not how our democracy works. And it is not an accurate portrayal of the mechanisms and, and systems that are in place that impact our lives. What is happening in your city council or your state house has honestly a much, much greater impact on your day-to-day life than who will be elected uh, for president in, 20, in 2024, assuming we still have a democracy in 2028. But if that is the case, um, then really it is like the, the state and local officials who are setting policies that affect everything about your job and the taxes you pay and your schools and your health care and the climate and the environment around you. Like all of that is happening down the street. And so get engaged at that level and you will completely change your thought process about what elections you're excited or not excited to vote in um, and at what level of the ballot. So that is an incomplete perspective, I think, on what civic engagement should look like in 2024. Uh, Did I convince you? Are you going to vote in Seattle now? I'm I'm convinced. (laughs) We've talked at the top of the show about like our personal voting uh, uh, history, and I miss special elections every once in a while. Um, we're an all vote by mail state, which that's a whole thing to talk about too. the, like the, the people back home in conservative Eastern Washington that believe that Washington is only blue because we're cheating because we're mailing our ballots <laughs> around. It's just wild to me. Um, it is funny until that started up until before that we were all red. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how Republicans, um, view of cheating often aligns with, um, more people voting right. and, uh, yeah. they're like, Oh no, close the polls one day, six hours. You have to be there. Stay in line forever. Like it, it's crazy. But uh, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't need convincing. I, I just worry that there are people it's so OK here in Washington state. It is so lazy to claim that voting is like hard because <laughs> it is not. So who cares if your vote matters or not? Just turn in your fucking ballot. They make it so easy for yeah. you. It's free. It comes to your house. It takes just, five minutes. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. It's a little bit different to, of an argument, I think, to talk to those people. Like in, in some parts of Georgia where they were talking about having like four and five hour long lines to go vote because Republicans have made it successfully have made it so difficult to, to, to vote. Like you have to do it in person, limiting the number of polling options. Uh, like people don't get paid time off to go vote like they do in, in, in other places. It just, it's wild to me anyway. Yeah. Voter suppression is real. And, um, especially in 2022, we saw a huge number of 
like it was over 400 voter suppression bills introduced in state legislatures, particularly in red states or purple states that are controlled by Republicans. And while some of them did pass, lots have since been overturned or restricted by the courts um, because there are lots of them are, of course, unconstitutional. And other changes have been made that really fly under the radar to make it easier for people to vote. And so it, it does depend on where you live, but like tune in, pay attention to what the laws are, check your, of course, voter registration, but also your options, whether you can vote by mail or whether it's going to be mailed to you automatically, um, all of that stuff. Some of the deadlines are sooner than you would think. And so it's never a bad idea to take the two minutes and just check on what your voting will look like for both the primary or caucus and general election in 2024. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I want to talk to you about some things that people have said are supposed to affect the national election this year in the United States for 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 president. And I just want you to weigh in quickly on whether you think that these are uh, reasonable things to expect or not. Sure. One, overturning Roe v. Wade and abortion rights will motivate moderates to vote for Democrats. I think that that's accurate especially down ballot. I will say that while reproductive rights are a major motivating factor for reasonable people, um, it is not a silver bullet. And we cannot rest on our laurels on the issue anywhere, um, particularly at, at the top of the ticket. But um, we have to actively go out there and make the case. And I think we've seen in really une unexpected places how well that can work in Kansas and Montana and in Kentucky. Like we have won when repro rights are on the ballot. Florida just got a ballot initiative through. And so that's going to be on the ballot in 2024. New York and Maryland have ballot initiatives around reproductive rights. And then there are eight more states that are considering them right now or are actively collecting signatures to put reproductive rights on the ballot. And so the more that we can make the case that this is a core principle and something that we should all be focused on and fighting for, I think the more we're going to activate the people um, who see reaper rights as like a no brainer, duh, of course, people mm -hmm. should be able to make that decision on their own with their doctor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, number two, Joe Biden's age makes everybody stay home. Oof. <laughs> um, you had me until stay home. <laughs> okay. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like Biden's age is for sure a factor. And it, I think it's silly to pretend like it's not. A lot of people are concerned about that. And millennials and Gen Z especially just want to see younger people in office representing them. And so I think we'll see that most in the enthusiasm gap is how they're going to report on it. And they're going to say there's this huge enthusiasm gap, like 86% of Republicans are saying they're excited to vote for Trump and 60% of Democrats are saying they're excited. Um, the coalitions behind each party have changed considerably in the last 10 years. And Democrats are now, like as a whole, more consistent voters, um, especially in like off years, but it, it, the principle holds. And so I do think that people will show up. I think that they'll complain a lot about Biden's age. <laughs> I don't think that people are going to like be setting record numbers at Biden rallies anytime soon, but I do think that they will show up and vote for him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, number three, 
if Trump is convicted on any of these charges, moderates will finally vote for Biden instead of Trump on that basis alone that he's a criminal that's now been convicted. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm down with that perspective. Uh, I think moderates is like a, a big word. And so I don't really see it as monolith, but yeah, if you look at whether it's like polling or focus groups or, or anything like that, most again, reasonable people, which is a bigger portion of the country than people give reasonable people credit for, um, <laughs> don't want a convicted felon. Uh, as president, particularly when that felony pertains to undermining our democracy. So um, yeah, it is going to be a factor. I think we should expect twists and turns in the in the court cases. Um, and some of them we might not have real um, closure on in uh, ahead of the election. But yes, when Trump is convicted, it will absolutely push reasonable people, moderates away from him and towards Biden. Yeah. Uh, number four, Georgia stays blue and Democrats have a bigger leg up out of the gate than people think we do. Ooh, I love that take. Um, <laughs> I, I'll go with yes. Um, I, I, I agree with that. I think particularly when you can sort of show the, effect and the the change that can happen when people show up the way they have like four times for these Senate races in the last like two years, the more that people are going to keep showing up essentially. And so that I think works in Georgia's favor that they've really been able to show it's possible, there's a path, um, and they have this coalition that feels um, powerful in the state and they should, right? Like they've made this huge shift happen that many people didn't think was even possible. So I would say that should motivate a lot of people again in 24. So yes, put me down for Georgia being called for Biden on election night. Love that. Wow. wow. <laughs> I hope fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> fingers and toes and everything. Well, okay. So this isn't specifically about 2024, but there are some who say that Texas will be blue eventually that that's just a matter of demographics and change. Um, uh, and, and what, what, is there any possibility that happens? What do you think? I will take, um, the bearish <laughs> perspective on this one. And I'm going to say people relying on demographic shifts to like dramatically reshape our politics. Don't really grasp how, coalitions work. Mm -hmm. um, and so, no, I do not think that Texas will turn blue in 24 uh, statewide, um, nor do I think that like the growing Hispanic population in Texas will by default flip it blue at like X date that could theoretically be calculated. Um, I think that it's much more about building both infrastructure and like changing the the face of of who is in power in these places, right? It's like you don't just like count up all of the different demographics and then predict what the vote will be based on that. Like you need to build in these communities, understand how they work and what their pain points are and 
propose and implement solutions to those, right? Like, are, are you speaking to these communities? Because in some cases, the answer is no, right? You can look at other places that have diversified from being like predominantly white to uh, more mixed in, in different racial groups. Um, and it doesn't always correspond with like such a perfect shift to the left. Like that's that's not, I think, um, a fair characterization of, of how the, the country is changing. So I would say no, not by default, but I do think that investment and um, focus year round, not just putting all of our eggs in a Beto basket, um, but like actual focus and investment in Texas could turn the state blue in the future. Absolutely. I don't think that that's in 2024 though. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> okay. Who's the most bangable governor and why is it Gavin Newsom? <laughs> oh my gosh. I would never like, no way. Um, it, I mean, it's a, it's a low bar. I think for it's the a most really part. low bar. I'm trying to come up with a single one. I'm like trying really hard to come up with a single one. Um, okay. Like governors like... or members of Congress. Oh, okay. That definitely, um, that definitely, <laughs> <laughs> that definitely helps. Now I have, now I have, um, a couple options. Um, I'm going to say John Ossoff. Oh yeah. Okay. He's like, come on. I think he's like six, three or something. Handsome guy. Um, yeah. yes. Yeah. Governors are definitely lacking. Like for some reason, <laughs> my mind keeps going back to big Gretch and I'm like, what? Um, Gretchen Whitmer in, in Michigan for the yeah. uninitiated. Um, yeah, awesome. I'm going to, I'll give more thought to the other, to the lack of, of hot governors. Um, <laughs> we need, we need more for sure. Okay. Um, before we go to a break, then you can think about, you can think about hotness factor of governors well, over the break, maybe, but, um, I do every day. <laughs> uh, you, you get the last word, this, the, the big, the big call to action. What, what should, what should people, what should people do this year? People should follow their local elected officials on social media and sign up for their email. Um, because I think that once you have that consistent flow of information, you're going to do so much more. You're going to show up to stuff. You're going to donate to stuff. You're going to volunteer for things. Um, so get yourself into that flow of of info. All right. All right. That's also e e that's attainable. That's something I can do. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you you ready to take a break? Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. 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 Vote. Break. A voting break. Early and often. That's what they say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So are we back? We're back. We're back. We're going to do our gays and straightest. <laughs> We're going to do our gays and straightest. But first, Brian, Derek, where can people find out more about you, what you're up to, plug in, get involved, tell us all the things? Absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram at Brian Derek underscore. And I also recommend signing up for Oath at oath.vote. Um, and that's where you can get personalized recommendations about candidates and elections that you should be plugged into based on where you live or what issues you care about. Um, and you can control the cadence of that. So if you want a weekly recommendation or a monthly recommendation, uh, we will listen to your wishes and provide those for free. And where should people send their marriage proposals? <laughs> 
Um, I'm accepting those uh, via DMs <laughs> um, or snail mail. Everyone loves a good letter. Okay. All right. Excellent. Perfect. <laughs> well, our website is gayishpodcast.com. We are on socials at Gayish Podcast. Our hotline, you can send us text messages or leave us voicemails, especially your gayest or straightest. It's 5855-GAYISH. That's 585-542-9474. Standard rate supply. Our email is gayishpodcast at gmail.com. And our physical mailing address is post office box 19882, Seattle, Washington, 98109. Um... Do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Okay, great. Your gayest is straightest. Kyle, hit me. Um, my gayest is whenever I use conditioner in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always, but when I do, on, I... You mean it, on your hair? On my hair. Okay. Sure. What? I don't, it's kind of slippery. You can okay. Be... Okay. <laughs> Jesus. No, on my hair, Mike. Oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> what I, I I'm betting conditioner could be a lube in a, in a pinch. That's true. I'll report back next week. Okay, great. Straightest is my wallet is falling apart. Mm. I need a new mm. wallet. That's for sure. But until it absolutely completely rips open, I'm going to keep using this wallet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a gift idea, maybe. Oh, yeah. That's there a good gift go. idea. If you want to go full straight, you can um, make your next wallet out of duct tape. That's, <laughs> that's the straightest wallet yes. you can have. I should. I do own duct tape. That's a straight <laughs> thing about me is that I actually own duct tape. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I do that. Yeah. You just got a bunch of points in the straight bunch category. Straight points. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, well, let's see. The uh the, the gayest thing about me this week was my New Year's Eve party. Almost none of my straight friends came. It was like just wall to wall gays in here. There was a lot of gays. It was a lot of gays. And then and then the, the straightest thing about me was yelling at all of the twinks at three AM to get the fuck out of my house <laughs> because they were loitering and it was late and I was tired. Boyfriend was trying to be so nice to them and I was not having it. Uh yeah, just like kicking out the twinks. I was Everyone has to kick out a twink in the early morning at some point in their life. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. my That's... straight guy friends are always complaining to me about how all the all the twinks they have to kick out of their home. <laughs> all the time. Um, Brian, how about you? What's your gayest or straightest? Um, gayest is definitely um the fact that I know the designing women monologue. <laughs> <laughs> The night the lights went out in Georgia, that one? Of course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and have been known to occasionally perform uh, uh, that monologue I in Fire Island. Excellent. Which was fun. Oh, that's pretty gay. <laughs> pretty gay. Pretty yeah. gay. Um, straightest, I am a Premier League fan. So you will normally find me on Saturdays watching English Premier League soccer. So, okay. Wow. Thank you. I was going to ask. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, it, pretty much any sports thing that's going to get you, you know, a straight, straight, straight. cred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is the, probably the gayest of the sports, I would say yeah. grass fairies, but um, yeah. Straightest thing about me. I, I love it. I think soccer players might be the hottest ones. Like yeah, team 100%. sports. It's either, it's either like soccer or maybe water polo. I don't know. Oh, I don't know that I can name a water poloist. Right, right. <laughs> Soccer, the legs. Yeah, it's real. The legs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, thank you so much for being here today and talking to us about voting. Really appreciate you and the work that you're doing out there. I, I almost have hope and optimism. Not quite, but almost. And you have a lot to do with that. Then you'll have to have me back and I'll get you the rest of the way there. Uh, <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been really fun. Uh, well, that's it. Um, uh, special thanks to everybody who votes. If yes. you vote, you can get a thank you. 
Yeah, unthank you to everyone who doesn't vote. Yeah. Um, and also thank you to our super gap bridgers. Thank you to Kaylee Adams, Kit Oliver, Andrew Bugby, William Bryant, John Crowley, Stephen Portio, Stosel, Harry Shaw, Jonathan Montanez, Wadu, Forrest Nail, Patrick Martin, Steve Douglas, Explosive Lasagna, Michael Cummington, Just Jamie, Kevin Henderson, Thomas B., Timothy Sora, Dusty Sands, A.E. Coleman, Chris Cacciatorians, and Jerome York. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your money. Uh, that's it. This has been Gayish from the Chris Catchatorian Studios. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. Be, be in the booth. In the voting. True voting. Or from home. If it's or in your mail booth. Yeah. <laughs>